Hey guys, it's Kelly, and I want to welcome you back to the Unbroken podcast. So recently, a beautiful person had reached out to me through email, and we moved over to Instagram and have been talking and have become quite close friends, and she is a survivor as well, and wanted to share her story for the first time, and I am absolutely honored that she asked if she could do that here on my podcast. So I'd like everyone to give a very warm welcome to my dear friends, Amanda. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Uh, Still trying to kick this COVID crap. It is Mm -hmm. not easy. (laughs) So um, I just want to know, where would you like to start? I know you had told me a little bit about your story, but I don't want to be the one to tell it. So um, I guess just say what you want to say. The mic (laughs) is yours. (laughs) Well, uh, like you said, this is my first time sharing my story in really any capacity. I found your podcast at the beginning of January and was very instantly hooked. And I don't think it was until maybe end of season one very beginning of season two before I was both brave enough and thought of actually reaching out to share my story I'm so honored honored that you did that's one of the reasons why I started it so that way hopefully people would be inspired to share their stories too uh in the past when I've talked about trauma that I've been through I've been ignored and not believed quite too many times to count so like you I I definitely know how that silence feels when no one wants to listen and no one wants to believe you Mm -hmm. and that's a big part of why I chose to share my story especially now with everything just happening recently in the news and all the false propaganda going on, I, I'd like to bring awareness to a part of sex trafficking that, sex trafficking that people do, don't see. Yeah, I'm definitely the same way. Um, there's just so many conspiracy theories out there. It drives me absolutely bonkers. And I agree with you. It is, it's, it just, I mean, it makes me feel like I'm silenced even more when I'm constantly trying to have to tell people like, yeah, that's not sex trafficking. Do you feel like that sometimes when you hear these crazy theories people come up with? I do. And I shake my head and I chuckle to myself because the reality is people don't realize it's happening right in your neighborhood, neighborhood, right in your town right Mm. next door for all you know because the signs aren't always immediate and obvious yeah and you said that it was someone that you trusted and you considered one of your best friends right right uh so we'll call her jay we met through work and we instantly became very fast friends we had you know similar experiences in life uh we both had toxic situations that we were trying to get away from Mm -hmm. and in the process of that 
she offered to let me stay with her knowing about my my severe past trauma with certain individuals that unfortunately I still had to be around at the time. And I took her offer like a life vest to get me out of that awful situation I was in. Even though it wasn't still happening, I was still being surrounded by it. And that life vest, it became the other way around when I started being trafficked. At least that how, that's how it felt to me, at least. Mm-hmm. So basically, I mean, I've done episodes with my friend Jill and I've talked about the time that I was groomed. So this it was basically the same kind of situation with you. It's like with James, I mean, he learned all my weaknesses. Like I was homeless, I had an addiction problem and he offered like a solution to every single problem. So is it fair to say that's pretty much what she did for you? Very. She offered me a safe space to go to that was far enough away from my abuse, my bad situation Mm -hmm. to where I felt safe. Okay. And at what point did it change from, hey, I'm living with my friend to get away from this toxicity to sex trafficking? When she looked at me one afternoon and said, hey, we need money. And I just kind of looked at her, you know, like clearly, you know, I'm in the process of finding a new job. Uh, I had to leave my previous great paying job that I loved because of the pregnancy. And my little one is now, you know, happy and healthy and I wouldn't give them up for anything. That's awesome. Congrats. Kids are great. Thank you. Mine are a little weird, but they're great. So this pregnancy, it was not part of the sex trafficking, right? No. Okay. So after you had gotten pregnant and weren't able to quote unquote provide is when she approached you with, I guess it's forced prostitution would be an easy way to say it. That's a good word for it and kind of what I viewed it as at the time until I heard your podcast in a different one. I did not know that that sex trafficking, that was the definition of what I was experiencing. Oh, that's deep. I hate, I mean, I I was the same way. I didn't know. And it was the same thing with other survivors I've talked to is they just don't know. So... Um, do you feel like if you had more information about sex trafficking that you might've said no that first time or had left her house or anything like that sooner? Definitely. Uh, unfortunately my high school class never had sex education in, in any form, which I'm assuming, you know, this topic would be involved in sex education, but I think it is. See, that's where, that's where, you know, the public school system and really all school systems fail. Yeah, I went to, I went to Catholic school. They did good touch, bad touch, but they didn't actually, I mean, as you've heard in my previous episode, they didn't actually explain like, it's bad if your parents do it. 
or if it's your quote unquote mm-hmm. job. So it, there is a lack of, you know, a failure on kids on that part. So um, do you want to talk more about the things that happened, like how some of the sales went down or anything like that? Hang on, guys. Sorry about that, guys. We're having a little bit of technical difficulties with uh, Zoom. But uh, so did you want to kind of and you don't have to get too much into details, but did you want to talk a little bit about how the sales kind of progressed and like how often they were in different like aspects like that? Sure. So the sales had began pretty quickly after she first approached me. Uh, it was very transactional. And looking back, I, I don't remember it feeling that way. It was more like a here, go do this thing, collect the money and come back. And to this day, I, I think about that and I realized just how much grooming she had to do to get me to that point. Because I'm a very strong, prideful person. Yeah. As, oh, so often, am I. <laughs> as I'm often told, that's a problem. That's probably why I'm back in Facebook jail again. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I know I, there's absolutely no judgment with this question, but I like to ask it because it kind of gives people a better understanding why didn't you say no? Like any time that she had told you, like, go do this, like, like at any point, did you feel like you had that option to say no? Not at all. I did not necessarily feel safe, even though I couldn't pinpoint why I didn't feel safe saying no. Mm-hmm. Um, she is not a physically threatening person. She is not large by any means. Like I tower over her just a little bit. And I know damn well I'm stronger. (laughs) Um, But there was just something like inherent in the pit of my stomach that said, you know, she is a threat in some way, in some way. And I I took that very seriously, even though I couldn't pinpoint why. Yeah, it was weird when I pressed charges against James, the detective asked like, why I didn't say no. It was so awkward, but I was just like, I... I knew that if I said no, it would be worse than what I was doing. So, I mean, do you think it was, I mean, I understand, um, but is that kind of how it felt like for you? Like you were just too afraid to say no? I was, and like I've said, I I lived there now at the the time, and it was Mm -hmm. one of those, it could very all easily be like uprooted that that safety feeling I did have for what little time I did have it it was either staying in that semi-bad situation or going back to a far much worse situation yeah I definitely understand that that's how it was with my ex-husband when it was time to leave him it was like you know as much of an asshole as he was he was better than the alternative and I really think that I mean, even James was the same way. It was, 
I would lose my security of having a hat, like a roof over my head and things like that. So I definitely think that's a huge part of the grooming process. You know, they get to you to a point where you essentially depend on them. Um, and obviously with your situation, you would have to go back to the place that you were promised to be kept safe from. So it's like you made the choice to leave that situation. So how do you make the choice to go back to it? Exactly. Um, and I often ask well, myself that a lot, you know, I, I clearly, I left that initial bad situation to turn around and unknowingly go to a different bad situation. And there, it's a very hard thing to rationalize and people don't realize that. Yeah, I mean, I definitely understand that. It's, it's difficult because they just, it's like, I mean, me and my friend Jill had talked about it in the episode I did with her. It's like, you just kind of go into it and it's like, you're just going through the motions, not even thinking about what you're actually doing. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like that a lot? A lot. Uh, I now looking back, I now have a word for it. Um, I would dissociate a lot when I would go on these quote unquote calls or dates mm-hmm. really. And looking back, like, especially now that I've listened to more and more podcasts about the subject, like I, memories surface, not as, yeah. not as much as I thought they would, but like bits and pieces here and there. Yeah. And you know, it's with memories or, or a funny thing. I hate using that word, but it's like, I've told you before, there's some weeks where it's like a floodgate opened and I'm just like sitting there and I'm like staring at the wall and it's just like memory after memory, but then it's like quiet for a couple months. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, and I know that was, and I, I hate to bring up the Maxwell trial, but they talked about that in there about false memories and, mm-hmm. you know, repressed memories and things like that. And it's, I mean, I think all of us survivors were affected by that trial but oh, in that, that was one of the bigger things for me. Obviously, I'm a lot more closely related to that trial than you are. But, um, you know, the memory thing. And it's like people always asked me for the longest time, like, why didn't you press charges? And I'm just like, I get one shot mm-hmm. and I don't remember enough. And they'll tear me apart on the stand for the things that I don't remember. Do you feel yeah. like you feel like that too? I, I've never considered pressing charges, even though it, it may help. I don't know, but at this point in time, it would cause me more of a hassle and more hardship than it would the other person. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. I I hate the people that are like, when I first started on TikTok, Um, I don't think you saw those accounts. They've been down for quite a a while, but people were just, they would tell me that because I wasn't pressing charges, I was protecting my trafficker. And I'm like, yeah, now I'm protecting myself. You know, it's sharing your story comes with a lot of baggage and you put yourself in a certain amount of danger when you speak out, especially on TikTok and places that you put your face that's mm-hmm. why 
a lot of people ask me to go to video podcasts and I'm like, mm, no, nah, I like my safe space where I don't have my face. It's my voice. But, you know, this way, when people like you want to come on and share, they can feel safer. And I, right. I, I just got to say, I'm so proud of you for coming on and sharing. It's not easy the first time. I mean, I'm sure you can tell how nervous I was in my first few episodes. It was, mm -hmm. it's, it is a lot. And it's like the more memories that come, it's, it's hard because it's like, sometimes I have, you know, a whole big picture, like, and a whole night worth of memories. And then other times it's just like five seconds. And I'm like, okay, what does that mean? And I <laughs> yeah. try to like, I try <laughs> to expand it. it and it's just, it doesn't always want to. And everyone's like, Oh, your mind, it just, it allows you to remember when it's ready to, I'm like, but I'm telling it I'm ready. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Like I'm ready to let me experience this. And then it's like, it hits at Walmart and it's like, what is so safe about being in Walmart right now <laughs> that I'm having this memory? <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. It, it definitely is intrusive. <laughs> I think so, I mentioned with the start, I just started a new job. Yay. Um, the stress of, yes, thank you. The, the stress of transitioning from my previous job to this new one actually prompted a memory. And I'm not really sure why that specific, specific memory came out other than to say that like it was very high stress situation. Yeah. Do you, um, and I didn't ask my friend, I wanted to ask, cause like, I don't work. I am very lucky to have a husband that can support the family on, uh, just his income. But I felt like after the trafficking and everything, like working was a trigger for me because you kind of have to listen to your boss and they tell you, like I was a waitress so it's like, they tell you, go to this table, go to that table. Do you think that happens for you when you either start a new job or, you know, are continuously working? Like, do you feel like it triggers you? Like, and I, I mean, I hate to use the word control, but it kind of, for me, it feels like there's a certain level of control, which it's a healthy control, you know, like you have to follow the mm -hmm. rules. But do you feel like that triggers you as you're working now that you've survived this horrific thing? In some ways, yes. Uh, in others, no, because thankfully I'm blessed enough to have a very open-ended type of job, I guess I'll say, where I have control over what specifically I'm doing. Just mm -hmm. I know it needs to be done on a certain time frame. Yeah. That's good. I mean, I'm glad you got that new job. That's awesome. Um, so how did you eventually like escape? Like what was the breaking point where you're like, yeah, this is worse than the previous situation or like what made you come to the decision that it was time to go? I think I mentioned, so during my experience being trafficked, I was pregnant throughout this entire process. So there became a point where I just finally became too pregnant to be, and I hate to use this phrase, but of use 
to my so-called friend and she mm-hmm. pretty much just dropped me back off in the previous bad toxic situation I was in and every now wow. and again she'll reach out it's kind of rare that she reaches out but how do you feel when she reaches out to you sick to my stomach because she knows that she did wrong even though I don't think she realizes how or why it was wrong do you think it's more like she thinks she betrayed you as a friend rather than actually committing a crime maybe I definitely know that she holds grudges very very well or very very Mm. long I should say and she does not let sleeping dogs lie for long or yeah (laughs) I get that my parents that's I've been gone 12 years now and they still won't give up I'm like god just leave me alone so how long ago was it that you actually did like escape november of 2019 oh wow that's almost what recently now yeah yeah just about almost still a huge accomplishment though (laughs) thank you sometimes it does not feel that way unfortunately sometimes it it feels like i'm right back in that situation even though i'm not doing anything that would remind me of it, it it feels that way yeah no i understand and I talk, I mean, you've heard, I've say, like, I feel like I was given a life sentence, like the day mm-hmm. I was born, it just, it sticks to you. And I, I don't know how exactly to describe it, but it just, you know, every time I leave my house, it's just like, and I know my husband would never do anything. He's amazing, but it's like, sometimes I get that pit in my stomach, like, oh, am I going to a sale? And then I have to bring myself back to the present time and like, no, I don't do that anymore. I'm with a good person. Um, so I've noticed just this, well, not just this experience, but somewhat part of this experience, it's made me very cautious and wary. Like when I'm out with my little one, I am constantly scanning the area around me, listening for, you know, certain noises that I, I've been accustomed to and I, I recognize mm-hmm. as dangerous. Yeah. Do you feel like you're a little hyper vigilant, like when it comes to your child, like you heard, I'm sure. Yeah. It's that one lady <laughs> that came up. Did you hear the episode where I talked about the lady that came up to us at the grocery store? Mm-hmm. I'm like, yep. I wanted to oh. help have your little one get something down for you. I'm like, your husband was right there. He could have easily done it for you. And she had her husband with her. And I'm just, I mean, I didn't call the cops because I I don't know, you know, deep down inside, I think that it was the ring, but I just got the manager to get her out of there. But it was just like, oh, orange is not my color. Orange (laughs) is not my color. (laughs) So, um, yeah. Was there anything else that you wanted to talk about or anything else you wanted to share about 
your situation, um, especially, I mean, if you want to about how exactly she groomed you, because that's one of the things that I've definitely been talking about a lot that, you know, you kind of go willingly to your own kidnapping. And I don't think people fully grasp that idea. So uh, what kind of things did she do or say when she was grooming you? So Jay knew a lot about my past. As I said, you know, we became very fast friends. I felt safe with her. I was able to tell her, you know, a lot of past trauma. And she definitely made me feel like she understood where I was coming from with a lot of it, understanding my worries, my anxiety. And it didn't really register after maybe six, seven months of me, us being friends, really, me starting to notice her kind of say, oh, well, that doesn't sound so bad. You know, a lot of people have it worse, kind of diminishing how that trauma affected me. Oh, God, I hate that. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. Uh, They have a saying that I like, or it says, if you, if someone drowns in five inches of water or seven feet of water, they're just as dead, you know, no trauma is worse than the other. So I'm so sorry that she made you feel uh, devalued, I guess would be the word. Yeah, belittled, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I know that was kind of part of the grooming tactic with James. What he did with me was a lot of similar things, you know, um, of course, he said, you know, my parents were bad parents, but, you know, it was, he, he just, he kept calling it abuse. And mm-hmm. I mean, obviously our situations are a little bit different. I went from being trafficked to being trafficked and it, it was, it was like, well, I'll just get you away from them. And, you know, the addiction, it was, don't trust the rehabs. They're not going to help you, but I can help wean you off of it. Um, it sucked. <laughs> it really did. But um, what what other kinds of things like so she basically just got to know your past trauma, tried to level with you on it, but then in turn made you feel like shit about it. Very much so. And a lot of times, you know, when we would talk and me explain my story, she kind of turned it around on me. It made me feel crazy about, you know, what I experienced. Like, it wasn't a big deal. And I, I fully understand that all survivors of trauma process their trauma differently. And some do a far better job at it than others. I yeah. have not done well with mine. <laughs> um, I and that's absolutely therapy. okay. Yeah, that right? is absolutely okay. <laughs> I start trauma therapy in a few months and I I can only imagine the amount of work that's going to take uh, as my previous therapy was going great. And then unfortunately it had to stop. And I've noticed since then I've struggled and it's gotten slightly better, (laughs) like marginally better. Now, do you feel like it was, because I know there's a lot of people that talk about how they have problems finding a really good therapist. And 
I mean, my therapist is probably the one I have now is probably one of the best ones I've ever had. I make every second of that $150 worth it. Um, but did you like struggle finding a therapist that really understood the severity of the situation that you had survived? Um, so I have not told any of my prior therapists, uh, yet about being trafficked. I was working through other drama, <laughs> unfortunately, with the other therapist I was seeing. And honestly, she's been, I've been in therapy for years, probably three years, actually, three, four years. And she was the first therapist that I saw that I felt truly connected to. Like she understood, uh, it was a holistic practice. So that was a big yeah. factor in choosing. You know, I don't do well with medication. So oh God, I, do I. <laughs> I just went to the doctor so, yesterday and she wanted to give me this long list of stuff. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to take any meds. I don't do meds unless they are absolutely necessary. It, it's hard. And I don't, I don't understand why it's always one of the questions that I have, but it seems to be a trend with survivors. So, um, what's it like to switch therapists for you? I mean, it seems like you had a really good relationship. Obviously it's your business. Why you guys are no longer seeing, but it's like, What's it like now that you're going to be trying to transition to a new therapist? Because I know a lot of people, myself included, struggle because it's like, oh God, I got to say it all over again, all of it. <laughs> it's that. like, I wish I could just hold a sheet up and it's like mm -hmm. with bullet points and be like, this is the stuff I don't want to talk about again, but <laughs> you need to know. Yeah. So my prior therapy was simply talk therapy, which I, I told her from the gate, talking is not a strong suit, so it might take a while, and it did. With this coming therapy in a few months, it'll be a trauma-focused therapy. So I'm not unfortunately sure what all the difference is. I know that it focuses on like specific trauma, but not how or what kind of process they use so it'll be a completely yeah. new experience for me yeah my therapist now he has no experience with sex trafficking survivors but he was experienced with a with a certain amount of trauma but oh let me tell you how many times he's like I can't ethically say that's a healthy way to do things <laughs> My husband. <laughs> oh, I had an appointment with them last week when we were all really, really sick with COVID. And I'm like, I can't call in and say I can't make it because it's like a virtual appointment. And my son was in bed with me. So we just kind of kept it real light. And I was telling him a story about like how I want to be buried in a porta potty. Uh, <laughs> long story. I'll, I'll oh, tell yeah. you another time. But my oh, son yeah. was like, my son was like, mom, you're so sick in the head. No wonder you need therapy. <laughs> it's like, he's like, I ethically can't agree with him. Like, you say you can't ethically a lot. Yeah, um, right. It's, and it's just to offer some advice. Like, I, I think it's so important to treat your therapist, like obviously have that professional relationship, but also think of them as like your best friend, you know, mm -hmm. the person you can tell everything to like, 
I don't feel shame when I talk to my therapist, but if I talk to somebody else about certain topics, like especially my addiction and, you know, when I lost my daughters, I feel so shameful and mm -hmm. I feel all this guilt. So um, therapy is an experience for sure. Now, <laughs> as for uh, resources now, um, cause I know we had talked about, you know, you're still very much living in that toxic environment with the previous trauma and everything. And I mean, I know I've made a ton of calls and hit a lot of dead ends. Like how, like, what has your experience been trying to find resources of being like a grown woman? Because that was one of the things that I always ran into. They're like, oh, you're an adult you can yeah. just go to a homeless shelter and it's like, uh, not putting that entire shelter in danger. Exactly. Um, so do you feel like that there needs to be like some more, uh, resources for adults? Um, because I mean, God, I called like surrounding counties for you. Mm -hmm. and, and see, everyone the is the County that I'm in does not currently have anything that will help me get out of the situation I'm in because what they count as domestic violence does not apply to my situation. Yeah. So unfortunately, you know, you, you encounter a lot of women and not just women, you know, men too, that are in these awful situations and there's zero help for them. They, you know, people expect you to have all your stuff figured out. And when you're in that situation, there's not necessarily, you know, a guidebook to tell you, like, this is what you need to do first. This is what you need to do second. There's no mm -hmm. guide to getting out of a bad situation like some of us find ourselves in. Yeah. And it's, it's always, we'll call the human trafficking hotline. And I mean, they're great. I don't want to hate on the hotline, but <laughs> they're better when it's an emergency type situation. You yeah. know, it's, there's not a lot of aftercare and no, there's not. I mean, it's like, I called there once to, oh God, it was so terrible. It was with the whole Wayfair thing. I was on hold forever. I was like, I hate people and this stupid Wayfair thing, but it was like, I just, I wanted the, that was around the time I was pressing charges against James. And it was like, I just wanted some support in my community. And it was like, they had nothing to tell me. They're like, you know, we can get you a safe house, but you can't bring your kid. You can't bring your husband. And I'm mm -hmm. just like, I don't need that. Like I need some emotional support. You know, my current advocate, she, uh, she doesn't know a whole lot. She's a good advocate. She's a really good person to like lean on, but it's like, I didn't know where to go to report. I didn't know how, I didn't know how to do any of that. And it was like, that's mm -hmm. one of the things I think that they're lacking, you know, and yeah, they don't, you know, unfortunately there's not enough information yeah. out and about that people can easily access until they're in that situation and they're trapped. Yeah. It sucks. And then it's like, you know, I mean, obviously you told me the different struggles you had. And I mean, I've got a lot of contacts close to where you live. And I just, I mean, I exhausted everything and mm -hmm. I'm just like, 
you've got to be kidding me. I'm like, (laughs) like, it's it's just, it's ridiculous. Um, so before we get going and wrapping up, is there any advice that you would like to give to maybe somebody out there that might be a survivor or who might be being groomed or anything like that? Don't doubt your intuition and your gut feelings because 99.9% of the time they are right and they're there to protect you. If you are scared of, you know, someone finding out, you know, as when I was younger, I went through an experience that I was terrified of people finding out and that's what made me stay silent. That's what made me keep going through that experience for four years. And when I finally told someone, it was after the statute of limitations were up. So nothing could be done to the person who did this to me. And now as an adult, like I look back and if I had just had one person who would have listened to me, it it might've gone differently. I might have found, you know, that support that I needed at the time that I wasn't receiving from anywhere else to stop what I was going through. Yeah, there are there are good people in the world and around you. It might be difficult to find them and see that they are trustworthy. And I I could speak from experience that not every person you encounter is trustworthy. (laughs) That was (laughs) that was my experience this time around. (laughs) You know, and it sucks because it's like we're like, I know for me, like I'm such a trusting and caring person. I mean, even when I read your first email, like absolutely no offense, but I talked to my friend. I was like, I'm not going to say a lot, but somebody reached out to me and I'm so nervous. I'm like, what if it's them? And she's mm-hmm. just like, you know, uh, I was like, oh, never mind. She added me onto her private Instagram. She's a real person. <laughs> I was like, but I get so nervous because it's like, mm-hmm. you don't know who to trust. And I mean, I'm just now finding links from the guy, James, to my parents and was finding out that he actually specifically targeted me when mm-hmm. he took me. And it's just like, oh God, how do you trust people again? <laughs> And that's, I know we've talked about that. And I tell you, like, you know, my experience with my husband, like it just happens. I don't know how, I don't know why, but it's worked for, oh gosh, at the end of this month, it'll be 10 years. Me and my husband have been together. It's a very long time. Funny, (laughs) It's funny how you phrase, phrase that because my son's godmother, um, we met online actually. And we became fast friends and very much actually this was a few years prior to being trafficked and meeting my friend Jay, but it was very, you know, sudden, like, Oh my gosh, I finally found someone I could sit and talk to and that I could trust. It was always like in the back of my mind, like, you know, what if she's not like this decent person that, you know, she appears as, but as we grew closer in time went on, I could see like, she was a genuinely caring person that, wants to do nothing but help yeah it's hard but it happens but um so obviously I overslept a little bit and (laughs) (laughs) I I feel so bad 
But while you were patiently waiting for me to wake up from my COVID nap, you did a thing, didn't you? <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> and what was that thing? So I created my own podcast after <laughs> after having the courage and strength to listen to so many different podcasts about the subject. I finally made the choice to start my own. That is it so is awesome. Called- Thank you. It is called Surviving Has a Price. Uh, I do not have any episodes up yet. I am in the process of that. I do have a trailer up, but I don't know if it's listenable yet. It is on Spotify for those interested. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I obviously you're using the same platform that I do. So you'll be on, you know, Spotify, Anchor, pretty much everywhere I am. So um, I am going to put a link to your link tree in this description. Um, so everybody go listen and follow her. Like, please show her the amazing love and support that you show me. And, oh, I am like so excited because I am like maybe 10 people off from 5,000 subscribers. And I'm like, so mind blown that I could get to reach that many people in just such a short period of time. And Amanda, I am so thankful and honored that you came on to share your story. And I'm so proud of you. I know this had to be hard, but I'm really glad that we met and that we have become such good friends now. I feel bad that I've neglected you the past couple of weeks, but (laughs) I'm so sick. I'm like, I feel like I'm catching up on every ounce of sleep I have missed out on my entire life because I literally sleep all day. It sucks. Don't get COVID. Um, <laughs> I don't even <laughs> I don't even know how I got it either because like I don't leave my house ever. Like I leave like once a week and I don't even get out of the car. <laughs> so I think it snuck in the window. But thank you so much for coming on and trusting me with your story for the first time. And thank you so much for having me. You are absolutely welcome. And I hope that it helps you with your podcast. And obviously, if you need any advice, you know where to find me. I'm super excited to hear it. I uh, I need more podcasts to listen to myself. I have, <laughs> I have a few that I listen to, but man, my one friend, oh, well, he, uh, I met him on TikTok and he kind of helped me with everything. And Man, when I listen to his, he makes me want to get up and jog around the neighborhood. And I'm just like, oh, wait, I'm lazy. I yeah, like, no. <laughs> He's a very uh, inspirational. But yeah, this is so exciting. And I'm so glad that you're going to be starting your own. It's, you know, the more that we talk about it, the more people can relate to our stories. And then, and you hopefully know, get help. Become, exactly. And also, you know, keep that conversation going. So I am, thank you so much for coming on. I really am so happy and I'm so proud of you for sharing because, you know, like I said, it's not easy. And I know my (laughs) episodes make it sound easy, but let me tell you how many times I have to pause it and redo it. And I mean, gosh, there are some episodes that I deleted like 20 of them. And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. (laughs) It's, it's a, it's a process. 
a creative process. I think think I went through three or four takes of the trailer for my podcast before I just settled. I'm like, no, this is it. I'm done recording right now. This is it. You know, sometimes you got to do that where you're just like, okay, I got it. I got to stop questioning. It's, it's done. Well, running out of time. I don't like to make my episodes too long, but thank you so much for coming on and everybody. Thank you for welcoming Amanda as lovely as you welcomed me into your homes. And again, thank you so much for all the continued love and support. And I will talk with y'all soon.